0: Alright, today I have joined with me uh, good friends, longtime friends, but also two individuals that have also been studying unemployment and studying the financial market as well as I have. Uh, On Financial Fitness, I'm joined by Caleb Hampton and EB Martin. Guys, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do um, and introduce yourself to the audience. Alright, EB, you go first.
1: Uh, my name is E.B. Martin, I'm based in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I work for First Horizon Bank in their franchise finance division as a credit analyst. Um, so I've seen a lot of the SBA PPP loan um, conversation and process come through, and you know, recently seen a lot of economic statistics and um,
0: measures to kind of determine where we are in the economy and where we're going. Lovely, lovely. And Mr. Hampton.
2: What's going on, guys? My name is Caleb Hampton. I am based out of Jackson, Mississippi. I work for Stryker. I am a medical sales rep in the CMF division for Stryker.
0: All right, guys. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, We've been talking about this topic quite frequently lately, um, unemployment. Now, the perspective that we look at it isn't from the same deal as one would think, where no one has a job. Caleb, I think it was you that kind of sent the perspective of the different versions of unemployment. Uh, We talked about those who were furloughed. We also talked about those who were temporarily laid off and those who were fully laid off. However, each of them have different benefits, different sectors, have different rules and regulations. So let's kind of go back to that topic to you guys, what have you seen in unemployment?
2: Well, from my perspective, I guess you can say um, just talking with friends, family, and doing research of my own is kind of how I found out that there are different, I guess you can say, sections of unemployment or different, um, I guess you can say, levels to it, uh, which was kind of surprising to me because I did not know that you can still work and pull unemployment in I guess you could say this situation, but it all depends on your work. So if you're an hourly wage worker, from what I understand, is if your hours are cut by, I guess you could say half, because from what I was doing, the research used uh, 40-hour weeks and it talked about 20 and 25 hours. At that point, you can still work your hours that that you're being provided and still pull um, unemployment benefits, just not full unemployment benefits, which... It's different because right now the base unemployment, if you're getting full benefits, is about in Mississippi about two hundred thirty-seven to fifty-seven dollars a week. But right now there's an extra kicker involved in that, and it's another six hundred dollars.
0: So it's so funny and it, you mentioned that um, Massachusetts the minimum is seven hundred and eighty dollars a week. So it varies because Mississippi, like you said, a state that's very poorly. So if you're receiving a minimum of $780 plus an additional $600 to $800 from the government, that's where that range goes back in. So didn't mean to cut you off there, but I kind of wanted everybody to know, like, the huge gap in between the amount of unemployment received weekly.
2: Yep. so unemployment varies by state, and it's... (laughs) I mean, I guess it's valid because, you know, cost of living varies. Of course, here in Mississippi, our cost of living is, I guess you could say, almost nothing compared to other places, which is evident by the $257 a week that people are getting or we're getting for full unemployment benefits. Right now, they're pulling in a, ride, a little bit over $800 a week, which is, I mean, I guess if you're thinking about it, from people who are making $200 a week to $800 a week, uh, that's a lot. And now, but yeah. Yeah. that's not everybody, you know, mm-hmm. That that that's for people who are on full unemployment benefits and some people who are still working but not getting their, their regular amount of hours. Mm-hmm. And so it's a fine line right there. And I know a lot of, I, I don't know a whole lot of people doing it, but I do know people that are doing it right now. Exactly. So, and I never, I didn't ask the numbers with them. I didn't want to get that personal ask question, but I mean, it just seems it was shocking to me, I guess you could say, because I've never had the experience um, going into the i guess you say unemployment uh spectrum, so it was different for me. I was really interested in it which kind of led me to do my own research
0: nice e b you were saying
1: um it's also the unemployment's also dependent upon childbearing I believe yeah you yep. can get up to twelve hundred extra dollars based if you have. Two children or more, Um, which is interesting, I think, because it's essentially the federal government saying, We believe that you think or that you need this much to live. Whereas every month, regularly, without the crisis, it's $600 less. So if the federal government is saying that we believe as a government, you need this much to live, whether it's with children or not, it's kind of, I think it's going to cause some problems after the fact that there's going to be a lot of people who look at that and say, well, if the federal government says I need this much to live, then I'm not willing to work for less than that. Um, but, you know, obviously there's the other side of the desperation that there's so many people out of work that they they'll work for, you know, relatively little. But I just have a hard time believing that things are going to go back it's to normal. It's going to be a huge issue with, uh, if you want to call it an issue, with people believing That they're being paid
2: the right wage, Um, and especially quote essential workers. I believe it's going to be a little. I believe it's going to be some pushback though, because you know we're saying, like you said, the federal government is saying we believe you need this amount of this amount of money to live. Well, are they actually saying that we believe you need this amount of money to live, or are actually just trying to stimulate the the economy again? Is is Uh it their way of just pushing pushing money back into? You know, pushing money back into the government or back into the economy economy to keep it running or they're actually saying, hey, we truly believe you need this amount of money to to survive. Because, like you said, that's going to make the conversation a lot more interesting.
0: OK, so yeah. take it from this point, And E.B., I like how you brought in. All right. So we talk about before the crisis or before coronavirus. We talk about unemployment. Then how how do you measure the same amount of aspects of living, um, childbearing, uh the 26 week pay period that is divided over the quarters, each quarter of how much you are expected to earn, kind of go into, all right, before this making unemployment wasn't as beneficial because I control my hours. Now, after coronavirus and the essential worker, unemployment almost looks entertaining because, in the, and I say that in the aspect of, all right, I'm unhappy with my job. Unemployment right now can take me over or get me close to at least a number if I maintain and budget well, where I was not making more at my job, but I'm doing what I want to do. I'm potentially starting a business. I'm potentially doing things on the side. Kind of go into detail what that could look like, what it looked like prior and what it looks like now and moving forward.
1: Well, I mean, you're bringing up a couple different things. First, you know, one point is a lot of the Republicans have recently been talking about, well, if you continue with these unemployment benefits, will people actually want to go back to work? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's totally fair. I think it's, I mean, relatively if you think about welfare and TANF funds as they're called, you know, on a consistent basis, how are they applied? Well, if you're you know, a person who is dealing with a great deal of hardship, and you can make forty thousand dollars a year and ten benefits from the government, or you can work eighty hours a week and make less than that with your real job. You know, there's an incentive for you to stay on, on unemployment, and I think that's what a lot of um, Republicans are worried about: is that by increasing all of these unemployment benefits, will cause people to become dependent upon the government rather than working. But I think that's a really cynical viewpoint that people won't have any desire. You know, people don't just work 100% because it's money. I mean, granted, let's be honest, that's the majority of the reason we work. But a lot of people, you know, it's something to do. And sitting every day at home for two months, especially if you have kids, has got to be overbearing. That after a while, you know, you've got to want to just do something. And so I, th- I tend to think that that's overstated, and that people will want to get back to work, you know, not just because they could
0: potentially make more money and give them a better career trajectory, but also because it's something to do. You know, it's something- Very true. Well,
2: if you think about it, if you think about it from that standpoint, from a numbers game, even before they act, they were given, uh, I guess you could say, the extra benefits for unemployment. If you were on um, unemployment and pulling, I guess you say, SNAP benefits, which is food stamps, um, you know, assisted living, all of those different things, and in Mississippi now, let me let me start off by saying that where our minimum wage is seven twenty five, you know everybody knows a seven fifty something like that, forty hours a week, um, getting paid seven fifty, you work forty hours a week, fifty two weeks out of the year, you make it's not much, but it's right under what you will be what your full benefits would be if you were getting unemployment for the entire year. I think the full full benefits for unemployment before the pandemic um in Mississippi I think it was somewhere around thirty four to thirty five thousand dollars. I did the numbers I can't remember something like that but if you work minimum wage job working forty hours a week, you make i think it's thirty. It's like it's it's right under what you would be getting in benefits from, you know, unemployment. So it's kind of one of those things, like you said, he be like, it's a it's a very odd way to look at it because people who are making minimum wage could realistically just go and you know what, forget this. I'm just gonna go be on unemployment because it, it it it's not like making minimum wage would just they were just rolling in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that speaks to a larger crisis that was in effect before the pandemic right the the fact that our labor market the wages were not rising fast enough to actually
2: meet the needs of the everyday individual Mm -hmm. um and you know there's plenty of people that have criticized that for years i mean Bernie sanders is the first one that comes to mind i mean that guy has criticized the minimum wage for years. Um, you know, Elizabeth
1: Warren, I mean, mostly you see on the democratic side, yeah. but it's also just so much understanding who in the economy is benefiting at the moment. And as we've, uh, we've spoken about this before, but people in white collar jobs are not struggling at the moment. Um, it's, I think, Caleb, it was you that was telling us the other day that 40% of, quote, low-wage workers have been laid off, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The 33.5 million people in the United States that don't have a job right now, 40% of them are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. You know, regardless of whether or not it's a problem, you think it's a problem economically, it's a, definitely a problem humanitarian. Yeah. You know, from a humanitarian perspective, how are are those types of people that are not as fortunate as, you know, the people speaking on this podcast, how are they going to be able to make it, you know? And I think that's going to cause a lot of waves throughout the economy and the labor force over the next several years.
0: It looked like a very skewed number, um, especially because... When we talked about it, we talked about it from the worst side, because being from Mississippi, all three of us, that's usually what we see. But Caleb, you mentioned the 27 million that are um, laid off and still have benefits. Uh, the benefit factor of health benefits, insurance, things like that, being able to go into cost and in detail. A lot of those people that still have those are now searching for jobs or looking for jobs. But I think it's important if you can last through those benefits if 30 days if you're not a sickly person, then it's okay not to have insurance. But how, how big of a risk is somebody taking not being on insurance?
2: <laughs> I guess so. Um, it depends on your point of view. Mm-hmm. Some of us in this circle believe healthcare is believe differently about healthcare than others. <laughs> so um, it's tough. Me being in the healthcare field, I see it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, certain hospitals, if you you know you go to the ER, they can, legally can't turn you around. They can refer you to the state hospital that gets a lot that receives a lot of grants to receive your healthcare. But a hospital can't just say, you know, we're not going to treat you. And <laughs> if you can make it through the thirty days, yes, if you're not someone who stays sick. But that's a risk you're taking on exactly. your own. Then again you go to the hospitals, get treated for whatever it is, you get a bill, and you know, I mean, it depends on who you are. It depend that truly depends on who you are. And, and that's that's a whole that's a that's a completely different discussion, I guess, when it comes to health insurance and pricing and how all of that works. But it's tough on some of those people who have kids, who have families, um that people are in, I guess you could say the, the um, I guess, what what was the term they were using? The the high concentrated areas of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. So you think about it like that, most of those people are the ones who are losing their job. People in big cities, California, New Orleans is still locked down for the most part. Um, Atlanta, Georgia just opened back up. New York, they were, I, I read a stat the other day that said, 13% or something like that of New Yorkers moved, left New York to go stay with family and friends in other states. Um, I have a friend uh, um, that's actually in Mississippi right now that left the first week that it started going on in New York, packed up and left, still paying rent at their apartment, still doing everything, but it, been in Mississippi for the past two months because of it. And I, the stat really blew my mind. I, I didn't think about it. I was like, I'm sure that a lot of people that had the opportunity to do that did. And they don't have the the people that made it here don't have health insurance, and I was having that discussion with her as well because she's self employed and she was saying that it's really scary at this time without it because you don't know you don't know what's gonna happen if you get it you get sent to the hospital you end up on a vent or you end up intubated or any of that that's that can be very upwards of five six thousand oh, no. dollars a night
0: a night a night a night. And I don't think we can stress how important it is. Like when you break that down over a monthly time period of what you have to pay back, they don't go ten, fifteen, twenty years. They want that money within twenty four months.
2: They like, want their money and it's mm-hmm. tough. It's real tough. But man, <laughs> that 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 topic is yeah. it's a totally different topic. I think Evie has a lot to say about the healthcare <laughs> topic too. It's tough, man. It's hard to you know, I, but in terms of where we are based on
1: the coronavirus now and where we need to go, I mean, at this point, you know the whole the whole beginning of the lockdowns and while we were locking down was stay at home for two weeks to give our hospital workers a chance, right? Well, obviously, two weeks was incredibly optimistic, uh, and it really it is it's extended into several months. But you know, at this point it's hard to tell people to continue staying at home. It's hard to tell people that, you know, you need to stay at home and not risk your entire, not risk your business because we, you know, believe that it it's gonna help everybody. You know, there's, I saw as much as I not tend not to take any type of advice or motivation from uh, the Barstool sports guy, Dave Portman, I mean, uh, you know, He did have a point the other day where he said, he was like, look, if you build a business for 20 to 30 years and you've worked your tail off and you get to the point where, okay, I have to either shut down and lose my business or risk it for me and my employees, what would you do? And I think that's a fair question. I don't necessarily think it's an easy answer. And I think everybody has different answers to that question, but it's hard to imagine at this point that we should continue staying in such a continued phase of lockdown because at some point we're going to lose a huge amount of not just our economy but our livelihood. And I don't think that's fair to force people to do that, especially if we can take the necessary precautions as a nation, which that's up for for debate. I Um, I mean, look at Georgia, though. Georgia was the first to reopen and Georgia's seen a huge decline in cases over the last
0: we, two we, weeks. I will say Georgia handled it a little bit better than your bigger cities of Miami, Chicago, um, some of those areas. They handled it a lot better. Fortunately, we have the CDC here, so that played a huge factor. Um, but... It still is mesmerizing because, like you said, as we open back up, you can't take away people's livelihoods. People have to live. People have to work. People have to earn money. People have to have a right away. And like you said, back to the social distancing, the quarantining at home, you know, you felt sick like it gave them a chance. I don't want to talk about the next wave or what's going to happen in the future, but I want to talk about also how this is shifting the work culture. So although unemployment is super important and we're still discussing the numbers, the work culture is also being influenced at this time as well. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on that?
2: Man, from my perspective, going in having contracts with hospitals, going in and out every day, um, it's definitely shifting the work culture. Especially for me as a, a sales rep, they're limiting our time in the hospitals they're limiting how many reps period in the hospitals they're limiting what hospitals who you can cannot go to you can cannot see Um, it's altering the entire I guess you say our entire business but one thing that really stood out to me last week and I told you guys this um, some of the hospitals lost money we went through a three four week phase where they Hospitals cut out essential cases. So, if you're talking about a state-funded hospital, receives a lot of grants. They get, most of the time, is people who don't have insurance that they're seeing and they're coming in and out of the hospitals. You don't do those. do you do those? You don't perform those non-essential surgeries. Your hospital loses money. That's how they fund. And we're saying that the hospital was over 650 k uh, over 600 cases behind at the three-week mark. They just started doing non-essential surgeries last week, and I told you guys that the hospital was still talking about uh, saying how they were a hundred-something million dollars in a hole and, and debating whether or not they needed to, I guess you could say, lay off some essential workers within the hospital. So it's clear that it's the work culture as far as, I guess you say, the healthcare field is being drastically changed because the fact that... Two weeks ago they were paying nurses to travel to bigger states to work right here in mississippi they talking about possibly laying something off not being able to pay them not being able to keep the hospital open it's it's a big deal and so it's a little it's a little scary when you think about it from that aspect because i'm sure i'm sure it's not happening and uh not happening at this hospital you know it's not an isolated event i'm sure it's happening in other hospitals where people are saying man we're in the hole too like this this is hurting us. right?
0: And I think that goes so, back to EB's point, working or doing a business or doing a job of, for 20 to 30 years. And it just shows you how finally some of these companies are running. Month to month, they can survive with consistent transactions, consistent growth. And, you know, even if they have a down month and they have a loss of quarterly profits, they have a loss of income, whatever it may cause, they can still make it up in a certain season. Now you've got individuals impacted, businesses impacted. It just shows you how things really were ran. And now, as you see it in the hospital and you see it in the healthcare field, something that people said would never go away. I think this just all ties into the culture that we weren't prepared for a situation like this.
2: They're bringing in, they're bringing in, I guess you could say, the non-essential surgeons that we were just talking about. You said all of that. Last week alone in one hospital they brought they had 40 cases on the board that were non-essential cases that they had to count. 40. Because they came in and got tested. And so 48 hour waiting period. Came in and got tested, boom. Tested positive. You can't have the surgery. Go home. We'll talk we'll talk about it again in two weeks. Think about that. So they come and they're bringing people in, performing tests, pre-op them and everything at the last minute they're having to send them home.
1: Right. And I can tell you as well, just based on SBA, you know, the PVP program, a whole lot of the businesses that received those funds were private healthcare facilities. You know, people who had private practices because, I mean, if you were, or if, let's say you're a dentist, you're not, you haven't been working for a long because think, I mean, the number one way that we know that the virus is transmitted is through you know air particles from your mouth, right? You know, straight from your from your mouth or your breathing, and so they haven't had any chance to do anything. And you know, having worked with uh, in restaurant lending, you know, I've seen for instance, I saw a statistic last week that in Mississippi alone there were three point two billion dollars of. SBA PPP loans gone through Mississippi banks they made made up for 85% of the entire labor force in Mississippi right 85% of the labor force in Mississippi was covered by those loans and those things are not going to continue happening you can't do that for the government just can't continue borrowing like that. Granted, we can go into all kinds of fiscal policy and monetary policy and what that means. But, you know, just in terms of an economic perspective and economic structure, that can't continue to happen.
0: Um, Yeah. From the SBA side and the PPP side, like the PPP side, some of that money is forgivable depending on um, what you you show as return, uh, any type of debt, leasing, things like that, interest payments but on the sba side that's a long-term loan right. and i i think like what you said it's it's appropriate um it's very 85 percent of mississippi's labor force and that doesn't even talk about like we said we we, we talk about mississippi because that's what we know and we know about the impact and just if it's 85 percent mississippi think about the other individual states that are really getting hit hard
2: yeah, I mean just think about think about New York City. Nobody
1: is working there. Like no the, the um you know the restaurants aren't open. The think about how many restaurants there are in New York City, right? There's got to I mean there's thousands. What is it? that you could eat at a New York a different New York restaurant every day for 50, 60 years and never eat at the same one? Think about how many people that employs and the fact that nobody is working I mean at some point you know the the virus and, and at the same time you know i think governor cuomo is doing as good a job as you can mm-hmm. uh granted they've got a huge amount of deaths but you know how are you supposed to move forward when there's that many people dying and but at the same time how can you keep that many people out of work right. it's just a no-win situation yeah. for whoever's making making the decision it's either okay we're going to prioritize public health to the point where you know we're not going to we're going to limit deaths as much as possible which that kills the economy and then it's okay well, we're going to try to open the economy as fast as we can well then you're going to see a huge spike in death deaths it's just it's a no-win situation and it's especially a no-win situation for anybody on the front lines that is out of a job that would typically be working or even you know the the average grocery store worker has to be there every day worried about their health mm-hmm. but if they're not there we can't do
0: anything very true and it's it's just it's not just like you said the grocery stores it's, it's the meat industry it's the industries in the warehouse where things tend to cause the most infection uh, where germs and disease and things like that can spread a lot faster. It, it is something to definitely consider. Um, and you guys have really been really influential with this as well. So I definitely appreciate you guys uh, talking about that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening all the way through the segment. Guys, we had a really great time, some really great information. Thanks for tuning in and taking a listen. This is Financial Fitness on the Old Fashioned Health Network show. we see you guys next week.